0: Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. You are aware of those things. Now, before we start our lesson, we're going to watch a video. And so I'm going to ask Brent if you would turn off the lights, but not the one that takes care of the camera. And I'll let Anel uh, push the unmute button on for the computer. And I hope you like this video. And then let's uh, let's talk about it. It's from a famous show that Netflix has called The Crown. Uh, I haven't seen past season four, but this is from season four, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy. This is Queen Elizabeth talking to her husband um, after uh, something happened where the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, her son was on a, a long excursion and got lost on his excursion. Okay? So this is a scene, one minute scene from that TV show. I see. A the Prime Minister said something interesting today about her son. Was it about his sense of direction? <laughs> she described him as her favourite child. Is that interesting? The way she said it was. Without equivocation or thought. Who would do that? Openly admit to preferring one child to another. Especially twins. Any honest parent. What? Any honest parent would admit to having a favourite. Who's our favourite? My favourite or your favourite? Is it different? I'd say so, yes. All right, you first. Who's yours? Anne. You said that alarmingly quickly. Well, because it didn't require thought. Philip! And your favourite is... I don't know. Liar. It's true. I really don't know. Your lack of self-knowledge sometimes is breathtaking. <laughs> on balance, I'd say that was an asset. Everyone knows who your favourite is. Do they? Yes. Well, who? Go on. Philip! You can't just leave. Philip? Anxiety over Mark's abilities aren't new. Before the race, he was asked if. Okay. It... All right, you can mute that back now. All right. So I debated about playing that video because I thought there might be some tension in the room, but I just thought it's also an example of a something where Catherine was like, "Would you have played that video if our kids were older?" And I was like, "I don't know if I would have." So thankfully, they're really young. Um, but one of the reasons why I wanted to play that video is because whether you liked it or not, whether you'd laughed at it or not, it's an example of something that is a picture into the world. Okay, I want to say it like that it's a picture into the world. There's a lot of funniness about this episode. I, I could, you could probably do a lot of psychology about this episode. The way he, the husband, is like, Yeah, sure, and she's like, What? And the way that she's like, I don't know who my favorite is. And he's like, well, everybody else does. Um, What happens the rest of the episode, by the way, the rest of the episode is her, without them knowing, inviting each of her children to get together so that she can try and figure out who her favorite is. So she meets with her, I think she has three sons and one daughter. And she meets with each of them because she wants to try and figure out who her favorite is. And I won't spoil the rest of the video. But one of the things that you should know, if you don't know this already, that in all shapes and sizes, all over the world, throughout all time, people have had favorites. Coaches for good or for bad have favorites. Let me give you an example of coaches negatively having favorites. If you've got a coach that they know that there's a big booster that donates a lot of money, that son is an eighth grader, you better believe that coach is thinking about how they're gonna make sure that eighth grader gets to play. Right? That's the negative side of it. That's a bad coach, by the way. Now, one thing recently with ACU, ACU had a family named the Anthony's that they donated like, I want to say like $40 million to ACU, and their son was the starting quarterback for one season. And I remember thinking, I was like, I hope he was good, (laughs) but... That might have been worth the $40 million, okay? So anyway, uh, now there's a positive side to this too. I was just recently talking with a coach who I really respect that's a good coach, and he said, yeah, of course I have favorites. My favorites are the ones that come to practice on time every day. My favorites are the one that come to summer workouts every summer workout. My favorites are the ones that take coachability, that whenever I say, hey, we need you to line up and run as fast as you can, and they, they do it. They try hard. Their favorites are the ones that don't disrespect their teachers and don't go to ISS and don't do those things. It doesn't matter how athletic or unathletic they are, the good coaches would say, my favorites are the ones that actually try their hardest. Okay, now let's talk about with jobs. Has there ever been a time in history where bosses have favorites in a negative way? Has anyone ever worked at a company where you felt like the boss had a favorite who went and they played golf with all the time? That maybe wasn't as good at their job at you, but they liked them a lot. Or maybe there's different times throughout history where certain people have elevated their children or their niece or their nephew or their they've elevated them up the social or up the the work ladder because they're their favorites. That's called nepotism, right? Is that what that's called? Okay. That's bad. But there also are plenty of times where in work you see a boss say, sure, I have a favorite. I have the person who comes and works their tail off all the time. You know, that, that's my favorite employee. I like to promote that person. That's an, a good example of this. But uh, the bottom line is, we see favorites around us. I had a youth minister that I worked for my very first internship. And at the very end, so I worked for him as an intern. At the end of the summer, he brought me and the other two interns into his office. And he said, I would like you to uh, guess who my favorite kid in the youth group is. That's he said, I'd like, I'd like you to guess who my favorite kid in the youth group is. And so we all sat there and we thought about it. And each of us guessed one or two kids who we thought were his favorite. And at the end, he said, okay, thank you all. And I said, we were all like, well, were we right? And he said, no, I just do this every year so that i can see who i'm maybe giving too much attention to or who i'm maybe showing too much favor to because if you have an opinion on who you think is my favorite then that means i'm doing something maybe where i'm showing a little too much partiality so All of us have experienced or we have participated in, knowing or not knowing, this favoritism or partiality. And so our final talk for this series of If Christ is My Lord that we're going to discuss is If Christ is My Lord, He is Lord of My Favoritism. Okay? So, James 2. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on the screen or turn in your Bibles. We're going to read from this passage. James, the brother of Jesus, says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must show no favoritism. By the way, one of the guys my sister dated in high school, I remember for Senior Sunday, all the seniors had to, you know, there was a a form you filled out, what's your favorite place to eat, what's your favorite... One of the questions was, what's your favorite verse? And he picked this one because it says, show no favoritism. So, you could tell he was a snarky guy. But anyway... Uh he says my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must n- not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, "Here, here's a good seat for you. Come on, come to the front. We've got these better seats." But say to the poor man, "Hey, You stand over there. Or, hey, uh, you can can sit on the floor over here. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Or, I'm going to use the New Living Translation for just that first part. The New Living Translation says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So, this was not on my docket of things I was going to prepare, but... It came to my attention and I said, I have to do this sermon because literally the very first line is, if Christ is your Lord, you cannot show partiality to people. And this is where James presents this really beautiful image of something that happens all the time. And I'm not even just saying churches, but James is using a church analogy. So I'll use a a church analogy. If there was a church somewhere out there that had certain people come in on a Sunday and the welcoming team looked and were like oh, this is who we've been waiting for look at them they look perfect they look amazing look at their family they look so amazing and incredible and oh we want them so bad come on y'all we got to get the a team over here hey would you like a coffee would you we don't normally let coffee in the auditorium but you can have coffee in the auditorium you know do we do that And then if someone else shows up who doesn't look like the dream person that you want to be a part of the church, maybe isn't wearing the right clothes, maybe pulled up in the wrong kind of vehicle, maybe smells a little bit, maybe so on and so forth. Uh, uh, hi, yeah. Uh, Yep, there's the auditorium, okay. Now that's a pretty sad picture, right? That's a pretty hard picture, but guess what? That happens around churches all over the world. And it happens. It happened back then. So James is saying, if you do this, Christ can't be your Lord. Because if Christ was your Lord, you must not treat people differently. It's as simple as that. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as the cool kids' table. Okay. Now, just so you know, there are also some of you in this room who grew up not at the cool kids' table. Some of us in here were at the cool kids' table. Some of us in here were not at the cool kids' table, and you judged the cool kids' table. There's neither of that either. Does that make sense? You cannot say, hey, here's a cool kids' table, everyone else, ugh, I'm glad we're not over there. And you can't go, I'm over here, and I'm not the cool kid, and those cool kids over there are the worst. I hate them. I can't stand them. They're so judgmental. What did you just do? You just did the exact same thing. And Jesus is saying, you can show no partiality. There is no, well, I s- am going to treat them differently because of how I see them. We might, well, I'm gonna, I was going to say this later, but I'll say this now because I think I should. We as a church, in my opinion, do a very good job of treating everyone who walks in the door well. I do believe that. And I we repent if we haven't. But I believe one of my favorite things about working at this church is I firmly believe, and I, I can say this with all certainty, if someone were to come into our building, they may not love the way we do worship. They may not love the way that I talk. Or the, they may not love the color scheme. They may not love the fact that this building clearly is not from the last 10 years. They may not love those things, but I have a lot of confidence that they will feel welcomed. Okay, So I want to make sure I say this. But I also think an important thing that we need to add is, just because we are good at welcoming people into our building does not mean that some of us, including myself, do a poor job of showing partiality outside of this building, where we've determined when we see someone, we think we know who they are and what they're about and what their life is like because of outside appearances because of assumptions, because of stereotypes and things about them. One of the things that I used to do as a youth minister that the students just ate up was called The Game, where we would get in the van, going to Camp of the Hills. I've probably told you about this. We'd get in the van, going to Camp of the Hills, going to a mission trip, going to camp, and I would just ask them questions. For example, would you rather live by the ocean or would you rather live in the mountains? Would you rather meet your dream spouse early and then later have a dream career, if you can have both, or would you rather meet, have your dream career early and later meet your spouse? Or would you rather go to vacation to a city like New York, or would you rather go to vacation to a national park like a, like Acadia National Forest? And by the way, they loved it, but what they don't know is, is that the whole time I was feeling like I was learning about them. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not some magic genie who knows everything and I'm this great professional psychiatrist that the second you say you like Dr. Pepper instead of Sprite, oh, that means you're a middle child and you're a, you know, I'm not that person, okay? But I do sometimes find things interesting when someone says, I would rather, if, they, if I ask would you rather have, if you can, would you rather have one child or six children? If they say six, I find that interesting. I log that away. You know, I I assess. And I'm saying all this to say that even though I'm doing it very much honestly, we all the time are people that are constantly observing and assessing everything and everyone around us and making determinations about people based on those things. Well, if your hair is like that, that means you're like this. If you dress like that, that means you're like this. If you drive that kind of vehicle, it means you're like this. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of people who want to be perceived in a certain way, and the way that they go about that is by getting all those things that make them be thought of like that. Does that make sense? When I moved here, I didn't have boots. I will say, I think it's a sharp look. I'm glad I'm ha- I have them. But there's a lot of people that probably move into this town and are like, you know what? I want people to see me as blue-collar, as hard-working rancher. So step one, buy the boots. Step two, buy the truck. Step three, buy the hat. Step four, make sure all my clothes look like I work in them just enough so that it's like, oh, he actually does work, not, oh, he's you know one of those cowboys. You know, you following me? Did I change at all? No. No but I bought all the things to make you think I fit this category. And so we constantly see people, how they dress, how they act, how they talk, how they do everything, and we think, well, you know, if that restaurant that they own, if it's in that part of town, it must be a bad restaurant. It must not be that nice. Oh, is that restaurant in this part of town? This must be fancy. Oh, you see that website? That website looks real sharp. They must be nice. They must be, you see what I mean? We're constantly assessing all the time And the thing, this is a great quote from N.T. Wright that he says. He says, The world is always assessing people, sizing them up, putting them down, establishing a pecking order. And God, who sees and loves all alike, wants the church to reflect that generous, universal love in how it behaves. If Christ is your Lord, you cannot continue to size people up and determine how they need to be treated or what they deserve. You can't do it anymore. You are no longer allowed to see the name on a building and go, well, because that name looks like that, that must be a bad place to go get my work done on my car. And because this name looks like this, that must be a good place to get work done on my car. You can't do that anymore. We cannot, as the people of God, assume based on... oh. That guy comes in with a gold ring. This guy's a guy we want. This guy comes in in tattered clothes. Oh, this guy's not the kind of guy we want. Now, and he has this great line where he says, You know, in our world, people are constantly saying, I'm choosing you, I pick you. And in our world, the way it works is, me picking one thing means that it's to the exclusion of something else. If I have to pick bridesmaids or groomsmen for my wedding, that means that there's some guys that didn't get picked to be a groomsman. But for God, his choosing, his saying, I want you, come in, have a seat, is never to the exclusion of someone else. It never means that someone doesn't get chosen, someone doesn't get invited in. I want to reflect again on that that video from The Crown, and I just want to say this. I do believe that there's truth in the video. But I also believe that I, as a child, did not ever grow up feeling like my mom or dad loved me or my sister any differently. Probably because they obviously loved me more. I mean, come on, no, no, I'm just kidding. But I do remember one time asking my dad, like, I needed to log into something and asking my dad for his password, and it was my sister's name. And I remember going like, hey, look at there. But what I will say is this. The reason why I didn't ever grow up feeling like my parents loved one of us more or less is because my parents had Christ as their Lord. And because if Christ is your Lord, you have the capacity to love people all around you and make each of them feel like they love you, we love you the same. Something that I don't think I did as well as I would like, I know I didn't do as well as as I'd like, but something that I used to say about the, the kids in my youth group when I was a youth minister. I had a dream that every single one of the kids in my youth group would think that they were my favorite. I really wanted if you took any one of the kids in the youth group aside and said to them like, hey, like who do you think is Drew's favorite? I'd want them to go, like, look around. I'm his favorite. And that's how I wanted them to feel. And that's how Jesus says, that's how you need to treat people, anybody all around you, that whenever they're around a Christian, when they're around someone whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, they go, I know that I'm Vicky's favorite. You know, I know that I'm Tim's favorite. He tells me he loves me. You know, I know I'm his favorite. Okay. So The good news is, is that, as I just said, this church, in my opinion, does James 2 well. But there's another side to this conversation that needs to be said. I just got done telling you, if Christ is your Lord, you should not show no partiality. And now I'm going to change it up just a little bit. If Christ is your Lord, you should show favoritism, sort of. Because God, throughout Scripture, constantly showed favoritism. In Jeremiah 22, 3, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. The three that Jesus and God talk about the most. The foreigner, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. Those three are the ones Jesus talks about the most. And the poor, you could add to that. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. It was very common back then probably still common today, that the more you had, the more likely you were to be able to get out of a court case problem because you could pony up and have the best lawyers. You could pay off the judges. I know that never happens anymore. But the poor did not have that ability. The poor couldn't bribe anybody. The poor couldn't pay the best lawyers. But God says, don't worry, I will take up their case. Psalm 41 says, blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and the poor. So, I just got done telling you not to show favoritism or partiality, but that's not the whole story. The whole story is that God is constantly a God who says the people who are not given as much attention, the people whose voices are not heard as much, the people who are often ignored and neglected and pushed to the margins in society, those are the people I want you to give extra priority to. Alright? This is God talking when he says blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and the poor. So let me, I'm gonna, I've got a few examples of how I see this at work. First I want to talk about my dad. My dad embodied this as well as anybody I've ever met where throughout his career he has had special needs individuals whether in his youth group or in his church. Amelia Newsom, Nash Lewis, Kyle Davis, Kevin Davis's younger brother. And I know that my dad is a good youth minister, and this is something he taught me. He's a good minister. He's a good person. He's a good disciple. Something he has taught me is that you will be defined as a minister by how you treat those people, not by how you treat everyone else. And I remember when my dad was a youth minister, they'd have a youth group at our house as a kid. It was a little house, and there'd be like 80 or 90 high schoolers in there. And they'd always break up into their rooms, and he would, they would sing, they would have a discussion topic, they'd break up to discussion groups, but my dad would stay in the living room in the entryway, and he would have a one-on-one talk with Amelia Newsom. And he would sit there with her, and they would just try to read the Bible together. And she got his undivided attention during that time. It wasn't, hey, you can't bring your daughter to this. It's going to be such a distraction. It's going to be such a problem for everyone else. we got to come up with something else. It was, I am going to make sure she has priority here. That's something my dad showed me. My dad showed me and taught me that a youth minister, a minister, is defined by how well they do that. Our churches are defined by how well we have our eyes. We cannot wait for someone who is poor. We cannot wait for someone who is an outsider. We cannot wait for someone who has special needs to come in our doors because we are going to overwhelm them with the love of Christ. Our church, at this moment, does not have someone that is attending here that is a special needs child. But I guarantee you, if we did, we would take that entire youth wing, if we had to, and make a space for them to feel comfortable. Does that make sense? Because James 2 tells us that is what we do as the people of God. Whereas the world often says, can't we just find a way to put them over here? We say we're going to make them the priority. Another example of this is in our town, there's two people that I consider some of the hardest working disciples for Jesus I know in this town are Kathy Meisner and Ted Jones. Whether you know those names or don't know those names, Kathy and Ted, they are people that if you want to know what you can do to be helping poor people in our town, they know because they're there at their houses all the time. They're constantly at work to do that. Not because they're super Christians, but because they've, come to be, they've become someone who's embodied this idea of not only do we not show partiality of, ugh, you're, you stink, ugh, I don't know if I can be around you, you're homeless, you're kind of scaring me. They go out of their way to say, this is who we have to go talk to. This is who we have to go reach. So how do I want to wrap up this series? Uh, because this is the last series and I'm kind of sad about it. I thought about a lot of things. I thought about just how much I wish, I wish we could somehow wave a wand and just make all of us do this really well. I wish I could do that for myself. Uh, throughout this series, there have been some little marginal ways in which I've preached a sermon on if Christ is my Lord of my blank. I've done some changing in my life, but I think we can all admit not not a lot of us have just done a ton of life change because of this series. But that doesn't mean that I, I don't want you to go home and constantly say to yourself, I want Christ to be my Lord. And the thing that's scary is, and I hope you saw this throughout, every time we try to make Christ our Lord, I've presented something that is daunting. If Christ is the Lord of my work, then I no longer work for job, but I work for my calling. If Christ is Lord of my money, then that means I've got to risk my financial gain for the kingdom of God. And that's scary. But one of the biggest things is, if Christ is your Lord and you are able to do those things, all of those things will make your life better. Every single one of those things is something that would make you into that abundant life that Jesus has in store for us. And so it's so ironic. It's like, as I preach, I keep thinking, man, all this stuff is scary. But then I keep thinking, if we could just loose those chains, we will be so much more free if we really could make Christ our Lord. But here is how I decided how I'm going to end. If Christ is your Lord, the Lordship of Christ is going to most clearly be seen, as James tells us, in how you treat people, how you love people. Do you want me to give a barometer to you? Like, how do I know if Christ is really my Lord of my work, of my money, of my family, of my... How do I know the best barometer? How do you treat people? Do you love them like Jesus loved them? There's a lot of complicated things we can do with church. This is as not complicated as it gets. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do you treat people? Okay? And, to put the cherry on top... How do you especially treat the poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan? Those that the society has said, yeah, let's push them over here. That is how we will know if Christ is our Lord, how we treat people, especially the ones that society has decided to say they don't have a voice anymore. So, I hope you've enjoyed this series. If any of you would like to talk to us about what it means for Christ to be your Lord, Elders are going to be standing at the doors. They're also going to be standing there if you have any prayer requests. Um, But I encourage you today or all week, we're always available uh, if you'd like to talk to us as we stand and sing this song.